Murabai. Good morning. I'm Judith Lay and this is Praise, the programme that connects faith and daily life. Radio. On the programme today, we explore the hidden powers of storytelling, take a first look at John Anderson's Walk for Freedom and find out how Pam Rhodes inspired a prize-winning poem. And because it's the season of Harvest Thanksgiving services, we're featuring two much-loved seasonal hymns on praise today. First, we join Norwich Cathedral Choir as we plough the fields and scatter the good seed on the land.
Norwich Cathedral Choir singing there, and there'll be another Harvest Hymn later in the programme. But now it's time to welcome my first guests, Rachel Bainton and Susie Steele, and in conversation with them I'm going to learn about godly play. You know how children like to be helped to do things on their own? Well, godly play does just that. It's a form of religious education based on the Montessori teaching method, and it invites listeners into stories and encourages them to connect them with personal experience. In most religious education, children are told who God is. In godly play, children discover for themselves who God is. It's a creative and imaginative approach to Christian nurture. And here to tell us more are two visitors to the island, Rachel Bainton and Susie Steele, who for the last three days have been running training courses, preparing local people to lead godly play. I began by asking Rachel what's her specific role. I'm a, one of the circle of trainers for Godly Play in the UK. At the moment, I'm also the lead trainer, which just means I have extra sort of caring pastoral responsibilities for the other trainers in the circle. I like the word caring because that's the best kind of leadership. Let's go right back to the beginning and tell yeah. me what's Godly Play, please. OK, Godly Play is a way of spiritual guidance or nurture for children. That's how it started out and now we use it through all ages right through to adulthood and in mixed groups but it began as a way of helping children learn about faith. We are all a mass of stories so we're starting at a point first of all that's natural to us as people and the way that Jesus taught. That's true particularly it was developed for children because for children uh, story is one of their languages so we think of children as having two languages they have the language of story and the language of play and in godly play we we tie those two together so we have the story and we also have a, a response time a time to play with the ideas so that children can learn in the way that's best for them to learn. Whose idea was it, Rachel, in the first place? A man called Jerome Berryman, who's actually an American, but don't hold that against Godly Play, please. And he was challenged by a tutor when he was in formation as a priest because uh, he was really upset by the way that they did faith formation for children in the States at the time. And so his tutor said, well, think of a way to do it better then. And so from that tiny seed grew this whole movement of Godly Play where he started to develop ways of telling the Christian stories in a way that was open-ended and enabled children to engage with them for themselves and then respond to those stories. And over a period of years and repeating the stories and adding new stories, develop an understanding of what their own faith was. Would this be something then that would be a Sunday school resource or would it be something quite separate from church services? It can be many things. Many churches use it in the Sunday school slot that's not ideal because church services don't last long enough. Ideally, we want an, an hour to an hour and a half and the Sunday school slot is is 40 minutes at best. So we have to make compromises when we use godly play within that Sunday school slot because it was developed in the States where they have a much bigger tradition of doing Sunday school over a longer period. It's not done while the church service is on, so it's done externally to that. So for us in our church, we use it during the Sunday school bit and we have to adapt godly play slightly to make it work there. But we also use it for schools coming into church and visiting churches and so they come for a longer time then. Um, locally we also go into our local cathedral and, and 
school groups that come into the cathedral get a godly play session as well. As part of their visit. Susie, can I come to you now and tell me what's your function? I'm another trainer. I'm quite a new trainer and I'm based in Hull and so I'm also a teacher. So I have lots of connections with various local schools and I'm on the local SACRE. What's that? It's a standing advisory council for religious education. We have areas where we have a locally agreed syllabus that's written. Schools can choose to follow that or write something of equal value, but the only subject on the curriculum that's legally required, religious education. I'm talking here to godly play trainer Susie Steele. Godly play is a form of religious education, a route to the spiritual development of children, but it encourages them to develop in their own way, to ask and to be helped to work out answers to their own questions, rather than being told what to think, to hear stories and ask what they want to know and work out for themselves where they might fit into the story. And Susie Steele is going to explain how this works in practice. Susie, suppose you were doing a session. What would I find? How would the session go? Well, it starts before you even come through the door. There are two people involved in a godly play session. You have a storyteller who's already inside the room, ready and waiting. And then at the door, you have the door person who will welcome you as you cross the threshold and ask you if you're ready. And then you you take a moment are you ready to wonder? You wonder, are you ready? And then you come to the circle and the storyteller welcomes you and you choose somewhere to sit and you chat and more people come to the room and a circle is built, community is formed. And when there is a safe circle in the room, the storyteller asks, are you ready? And the storyteller then goes and chooses a story from around the room and the children look to see where the storyteller's going so they know where the story is kept. The story has a place in the room. The place in the room is important as well. That in itself tells a story. It's relationship to the other stories in the room. The storyteller brings the story back to the circle and the story begins. And the storyteller will not look at the children. As the story unfolds, the storyteller is in the story themselves and is looking down at the resources. Today, the story we told had a desert bag, so a bag full of sand and a basket with little wooden figures, which are not painted, they're plain wood, and just a couple of pieces of wool and a couple of blocks of wood and a basket full of pebbles and the story is told from the bible three genres of story today we had a sacred story the story is told and then the storyteller sits back and there is wondering for the sacred story there are four scripted questions and they all start with i wonder so the first one might be i wonder what you like best about this story and then everyone in the circle is invited to respond there might be silences that's fine too And then you go through the wondering questions. And then after the wondering questions, everyone's invited to respond. And in our room here today, we've got a whole selection of paints and pastels and and sewing things and threading and little bits of glass for mosaic, finger labyrinths. And we go one by one round the circle and people choose what they'd like to continue their wondering with. And they're given some time wherever they want to be to work. And then after a while, the door person collects everyone back together. The storyteller invites everyone back to the circle. The room is tidied up and we share a feast together. 
something to eat, something to drink. And then once we've finished and we've cleared away the feast, everyone has a blessing, an individual blessing from the storyteller before they then cross the threshold back out and into the world again. I just want to be there. I just <laughs> I could listen to you forever. You say there's different types of stories. We're looking today at sacred stories. Tomorrow we'll be looking at parables. And in the third day of this course, we'll be looking at liturgical action. Could you just give me an example of each of those? So sacred stories today, what would be one of the stories? The stories today, we had one from the desert. So it was Abraham and Sarah in the desert. We might have had the flood and the ark. We might have had Exodus. We might have had the 10 best ways, which is 10 commandments. Parables, we might be looking at the parable of the sower or the parable of the great pearl, parable of the good shepherd. And then the liturgical ones. And the liturgical action, we might look at the story of holy baptism or the circle of the church year stories that look at how we do liturgy in the church and then the children can process all that they've seen and see what interests them what fascinates them what confuses them and their questions in the i wonder time would reveal this yes absolutely so in the sacred stories it's the same for wondering questions with the parables there's wondering at the beginning and at the end it's it's a much more playful way of looking at story and then for the liturgical action there are different questions so some have questions and some don't have wondering questions Developed originally as a resource for children, Godly Play is now being used with a wide range of age groups, for example with older people in care settings, particularly people living with dementia. Coming back to you, Rachel, would it work pretty much in the same way with an adult group? Identical. Yes, um, sometimes it surprises adults. I had an experience with my own niece who had been brought up doing godly play when she was a child and then she wanted to become a storyteller and she did a, a just a short introductory course and afterwards she said but it's exactly the same. I was like, yes <laughs> it's exactly the same for adults as for children because we are actually all children inside and we can all access that childhood spirituality. Mm-hmm. Do you think children are much more are open to it all? Stories are very natural to them. As adults, we need more drawing out. Yes, not just with the story, but also with wondering as, as we grow into adults. Sometimes we spend too much time in our heads, whereas children tend to, in general, articulate things much more quickly, so they don't process it as much before they articulate it. And certainly children are much more easy to engage in their own work, in their own response time. They don't have hang-ups about not being creative or not being responsive, or they have fewer hang-ups about it. So yes, with an adult group, we have to give more permission in different ways to engage with different elements of the session time. I'm noticing that this is becoming much more popular on the island. The fact that you're here for three days and you're Mm -hmm. training lots of people, working with lots of people. Are you finding that it is a a growing thing across? Yes, and it tends to grow in different areas at different rates. One of the joys of godly play is that it is non-coercive. It's a way of sharing faith without having to be dogmatic. And it feels that the time's right for that really open way of developing and exploring faith and not being segmented into different silos. We are people of faith, so we shouldn't be different strands of faith. And I think Godly Play really plays into that way of thinking.
If people are interested, we have folk on the island who are advocates for Godly Place, and each of those will be very happy to come to anywhere you are and, and give you a taster of Godly Play. And the best way to experience Godly Play is actually through being in a session and, and seeing what it is. You can read about it. There's a website, www.godlyplay.co.uk. There are many ways to find out about it, but the best way is to speak to one of your lovely island people and find out more in person. We will do just that. But in the meantime, Rachel, Susie, thank you very much indeed for talking to me. Our local trainers are Annie Naylor, Wendy Heaton and Sue Yardy. And they'll be joining me on the programme in the near future to talk about how godly play is being used here on the island. But in the meantime, you'll find a link to the Godly Play website and some local contact details on the Praise blog on our website, manxradio.com. Well, I promised you another Harvest Thanksgiving hymn, and here it is. Festival Choir and Hosanna Chorus there, and Come Ye Thankful People Come, Raise the Song of Harvest Home. And there are Harvest Thanksgiving services in churches and chapels all around the island in the coming weeks, where you'll be made very welcome. All the details of the ones I know about are on the Praise blog. Find it at manxradio.com. Last week, I was invited to be one of a panel of five judges at a poetry slam in Port St Mary, one of the events in this year's Manx Lit Fest. It was a great night with some very talented poets performing their own original work on a great variety of subjects. We unanimously chose John Dog Collister as the overall winner, with two poems, 
a very amusing one about Billy the Communist from Foxtel, and a poem inspired by a story told by television presenter and charity worker Pam Rhodes during her recent visit here in her capacity as Vice President of the Leprosy Mission. The Poetry Slam has a strict time limit of three minutes for each competitor. So it was only when John Dogg was announced the winner and asked to recite his poems again without any time restriction that he could tell the full story of his inspiration for the poem, which was a story told by Pam Rhodes about a woman on a pilgrimage to the Holy Land, who was frankly a bit of a nuisance to her fellow travellers, always walking slowly, always the last to return to the coach, and then eventually falling over, seeming to trip over her own feet. Here's how John Dog Collister tells the story. A couple of weeks ago, Saturday night, my wife said, there's something on in the cathedral about Nepal. And I've been to Nepal a couple of times. I, I do lots of things, and any monies I get goes to the Paha Trust. So we went, and it was, uh, it was a meeting on the leprosy mission. So... Uh, I'm, a, uh, I'm an atheist that went a bit against the grain, but I was there. But Pam Rhodes gave a, a, a speech, talk, very good, as obviously she is. She's doing it all the time. But she told the story, and I'd never heard anything as unbelievable as that story. So I went home. I was up all that night, 2 o'clock in the morning. I got the last verse first, and then I worked down to it. And I, I was all that night writing this stuff down and I went up and showed a, a lady in, in Michael and I said, I've written this and I suddenly realised I cannot go and perform this or do anything anywhere without getting permission from Pam Rhodes. Because it was her story and so on. But I said, I don't know how to get in touch with it. So this lady said, she's not gone away. I know a friend who's going to see her. Can I, she take it and, sh and show her? So she showed it, and Pam Rhodes said, you know, do whatever I want with it. So if I'd have told you this story before I said it, I would have got the beat before I started it. So, <laughs> but I'm glad I've got the opportunity to tell you this, the, the background, because as I say, I thought it was a wonderful story, and I, I fill up talking about it. So, sandals. I realised as they picked me up, it was the final straw. I'd annoyed all on my trip, they could take no more. Forever last to return, but I had to see the sights. So many places we had marked, they would be our delights. To fall it was inevitable. I was always looking round, not watching where I placed my foot. I was lying on the ground. My footwear caused me problems though, wherever I would go. But they were three sizes bigger, and that made me very slow. It was the pinnacle of our life to visit the Holy Land. My son had done his homework, and this is what he'd planned. But matters took a horrible twist some months before the date, the one when we were due to leave. Some may call it fate. He had to see the doctor. Something was not quite right. My son was given weeks to live, but he put up a fight. But things went from bad to worse, then came the bitter blow. Now I'm going to all the places that we too had planned to go. I know it is ridiculous that I'm so badly shod, but these are my son's sandals, so he's walked where I have trod.
Thank you to John Dog Collister for his poem Sandals. And from one John to another. Well-known local farmer John Anderson is currently walking from Land's End to John O'Groats. It's to celebrate his 60th birthday and, via sponsorship, to raise money for the charity International Justice Mission UK. John's daughter Zoe works for them. You might have heard her on this programme a few months ago talking about the work they do to free people from the scandal of modern-day slavery. Over 40 million people worldwide are still in slavery, more than ever before in human history. People trafficking is a multi-billion pound industry and one in four victims of slave labour is a child. The International Justice Mission is constantly organising operations to free people in slavery and to arrest the gang leaders. But each operation costs money, and already sponsorship that John Anderson has been offered for his 1,000-mile walk will fund at least two rescue operations somewhere in the world. He left Land's End just nine days ago. He's in Somerset now, with nearly 200 miles behind him, and he's loving meeting friends old and new as he walks. This is something we'll be following on the programme, but you can follow day-to-day -day progress on John's website, johnswalkforfreedom.co.uk. It's packed with pictures, stories, daily updates and full details of the whole walk. And in case you are wondering, yes, John's wife Fiona is driving his support camper van and being his all-round tower of strength. Speak out for the voiceless Stand up for the right See beyond the darkness To your eternal light God of suffering, God of joy God of all that life can be God of heaven, God of earth Let your love be My thanks to my guests Rachel Bainton, Susie Steele and John Dog Collister. All editions of Praise are available as podcasts. And did you know that our Thought for the Day, broadcast each weekday, is now available as a podcast too? At the end of each week, I combine the five individual thoughts into one podcast, and it's called Thought for the Week. And like the Praise podcast, you can listen, download or subscribe for free via manxradio.com. And that's also where you'll find the Praise blog, home of the complete church notice board. Go to manxradio.com, on the homepage click on air, and on the drop-down menu follow the link for blogs. So, till we meet again, this is Judith saying thank you for your company and I wish you and those you love every blessing in the days ahead. <laughs>